my next privilege is to invite up Dan Baptist, who is... He always does that. <laughs> like a pantomime this morning. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. My name's Dan. Um, I'm going to be preaching from uh, 1 Kings, so if you start turning that way. Um, especially a big welcome to guests. I can see loads of guests amongst us. If you're supporting, little waves over there and my family over here. Hello, everyone. Um, now, I think sometimes I would compare Jubilee uh, as a church maybe to an excitable puppy. Um, so if it's your first time, it may be quite for long compared to what your church is like or towards uh, to what you've encountered before. But we love to enjoy God here. And, um, you know, some people get really, really excited about sports and their favourite sporting team. I would say this church gets really, really excited about the love of God in that same way. And that's why the noise, that's why the sort of celebration and, and delight, because he's, he's been that good to us and we've encountered that. I'm actually, so guess for a moment, you can kind of tune out. Um, I'm going to speak to our church family for just a moment about serving and serving in this church. You've got one of these. Without a little bit of explanation, this is going to look quite cold. So I thought I'd give a bit of explanation to it. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was Jesus. Jesus coming and the King of Heaven, I mean, wrap your heads around this for a moment, didn't come that he would be served, but he came, the King laid it all down so that he would be able to serve. And that's the example that as Christians we follow. So when we look to follow Christ, one of the things we're saying is I'm walking in a life of service. I'm not looking to be served, but I'm looking to serve. And one of the ways that we get to do that is in church life. I'll be having a family meal this afternoon and it's not going to be fun for one person, mum, if everyone just sits back and goes, go on then, put a, put a show on. Let's see what you've got. It's much more fun if everyone pays, plays a part. There's places stack the dishwasher, there's setting the table, there's looking after kids, there's all of that sort of stuff. And it's the same within church life. If we leave all of that to just the few who are out at the moment serving our kids, then guess what? They get pretty tired. But when we all take the load, then it gets pretty exciting. You know, in the past, this church was really kicking a trend in church life because it was about 70 to 80% of folk in the church who were serving, which is incredible. I think since COVID, that sort of knocked a bit of our confidence and we're about, we're coming up over 50% now. So this is a real opportunity this morning to A, let us know where you're serving. Uh, we we want to make sure that we're protecting folk. We're not serving in too many places, but also it's an opportunity just to register your interest. You're not signing up, you're registering your interest. There's one area that's not mentioned on here, over 65s, and they would really love folk to serve in that area. So if you've got a piece of paper, then before you fill it out, um, as I say, guests, just leave it where you are. Um, but if you're a family, if you call this church your home, then you can add that one and either tick or say, yeah, I'd love to serve. But we'd love to gather those things in. If you fill that out this morning, leave it on your chairs, and then the welcome team will pick that up. Okay, that's a bit of an explanation about that. This morning, we are in 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. One thing that actually should go with this every single time that we talk about service is a massive thank you. You know, I don't know how I forgot that, but a huge thank you to you for how you serve, where you serve. Um, it's an incredible thing to watch the church come alive like that. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for what you do. 
So we're in a preaching series following this guy that we're going to talk a lot about this morning, a guy called Elijah. And we're getting to know him. Uh, he's a man of God and he's been teaching us loads about life and how we can uh, be a Christian and follow God. Also about courage. He's been teaching us all sorts about God, about faith. And um, James 5 says and reminds us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was like you and like me. And maybe like me, over the last few weeks, you've been looking at this guy with all of these exploits and all these adventures and all of this courage and boldness, you know, enough to spare. And, um, and you're thinking, I don't know quite how <laughs> James can say he's got a nature like mine. He seems to be somehow different. Well, today you're going to get a good dose of Elijah's humanity. You're going to see, no, he really was very much like us. Okay, let's read. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She's threatening him. She's threatening him and she's looking to kill him. Now, I'm aware that we've got guests this morning and that's not necessarily the opener that I would have loved uh, for a preach. So we need to just explain, backtrack just a moment to, to get to where we've got to and why she's doing this. You see, this, this guy, Elijah, he's acting as a prophet of God. And he's been sent, and his message to Israel is there is one God. You see, Israel are following many, many, many gods. They're making their own gods. They're doing their own stuff. But his message is there's one God. And so he's calling these people back to that one God. And over the last weeks, we've seen how Elijah manages to pronounce and hold off the rain for three and a half years. He says there's going to be no rain. It's going to be a sign that you need to come back to God. And there's, there is then no more rain. We see how actually Elijah, when he calls down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice that's been laid as like a, an opportunity to show the power of God, fire from heaven, it records, comes down and, and consumes it and the water and the dust and everything else. We saw last week how when Elijah prays for rain, the rain comes. Suddenly the heavens open and rain once again is falling on the land. I mean, it's like we're reading something from J.R. Tolkien. It's like we're, we're following the steps of this guy and on his adventures, and it's incredible. And so when Ahab and Jezebel this morning threaten Elijah with his life and say, we're coming to get you, you better leg it because we're going to kill you. I think we're kind of expecting what's, what's, what's Elijah going to do this time, you know? We've seen some of the things he's done in the past and the acts that he's done and the fire. Like maybe he's going to call down fire again. That will show him. You know, I wonder what he's going to do. Maybe he'll just ignore them because all the power's been taken out. You know, all of their authority. Now, all of a sudden, the rain's coming and everyone in the land is seeing, wow, that God is the one true God. Maybe he's just going to ignore them because they're, they're sort of irrelevant now. I wonder what he'll do. We're kind of watching and waiting because when someone challenges Elijah, there's going to be fireworks. You know something's going to happen, right? So then we read in verse three, then he, Elijah, was afraid. What? We're not used to this, are we? Over the last few weeks, we've been looking, and Elijah's a lot of things, but he's not afraid. You wouldn't say that about him. It says he rose and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, 
and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength that the food uh, of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So up until this point, we see Elijah. He's a man that was running away for three and a half years because he pronounced there's going to be a drought and everyone's after that guy because no one likes him. And so he's been hiding. And now we're back at this point. And when Elijah runs, he's suddenly afraid. What does he do? He runs to the place that he's familiar with, the wilderness. He knows that place, three and a half years. He called that place home. And so he runs back to the wilderness, even if it is a place that's lifeless and dead. Verse nine. I love this one. It's entitled, The Lord Speaks to Elijah. It's an important one. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord and the the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, and left. And they seek my life now to take it away. And he said, it's the Lord now, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. He does his thing again. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. There are some times in our lives where God isn't saying, yeah, let's go on, let's march on, we're going forwards, we're going forwards. Sometimes he's saying, no, you need to backtrack. You need to go back the way you've come. We're going to go that way because there's some stuff we need to sort before we move on. I remember a friend who gave his life to God. Um, he was in, I think it was his early 20s, gave his life to God. And um, he'd been working for a long time as a builder. And um, he'd, he'd not been paying tax for a long time. So he'd been just sort of taking cash in hand. And that was just how a lot of the building industry's done. And so he, he didn't think much of it. He became a Christian. He was suddenly like, it wasn't a, a shame-filled thing. It was like, I want to make that right. I I don't want that anymore. I'm going to make that right. And so he handed himself in to HMRC. He had to go back the other way. And so he called them up and you can imagine the phone call because they probably don't get many of these where he's like, 
yeah, so this is what's been going on, and I just want, I want to pay what I owe. And so the lady said, why? <laughs> said, well, I've just become a Christian, and I, I want to pay what I owe. And, and for the next few years, he had to pay back over £12,000. It was costly, but he did it so joyfully. Something in this, the Lord said, oh, come back this way with me, because he wants to utterly set you free. And we read on, and when you arrive, so God sent him to the wilderness of Damascus, go back that way. And when you arrive, you will anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, of Abel Meholi, (laughs) please, you're not reading these ones. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha, be, shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knee that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I think if I was to have a book and it was to be written about some of the exploits of my life, it would not only be, as, <laughs> it would be duller than this, but I would also, I think, be tempted to leave that one out. You know, today's story, I think it doesn't reflect that well on me. I didn't turn out as the hero in that one. And so I'd be tempted to leave it out. But I'm really, really grateful to God that they didn't leave this one out, aren't you? I think it shows us something and teaches an awful lot of what God can do. And he is no way diminished by Elijah's fear and all of the things that go on. In fact, if anything, we get more of an insight. Oh, yeah, it is God who has the power. It's not Elijah. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to go through the schemes of the enemy. This verse teaches us something of what we need to be on the lookout for when the enemy comes knocking, because there is an enemy, the Bible teaches us, Satan. Number two, it's going to teach us something about the kindness of God. We're just going to see something of his kindness, which until now you may not have picked up from 1 Kings. And lastly, you're going to hear me say quite a lot, he's not done with you yet. I think if we're going to remember something coming away from these verses, it's the fact that Elijah isn't just thrown onto the spoil heap. A was, a has been, but no longer relevant. He's not done with you yet. There is a recommissioning that God is able to do. Firstly, the schemes of the enemy. As I said earlier, we left Elijah on a high of his life in the previous weeks. He may not have been here, but he was on the high of his life. He's been praying for rain. The rains come after three and a half years. There's all of these miraculous signs and wonders. And he's, he's just on the high of his life. You, I mean, what I see from this is that the enemy couldn't prevent God from sending the rain when God wants to send the rain. The enemy couldn't do anything about it. When Elijah pronounces, no, the rain's coming and by faith holds to that, the enemy can't do anything about that. Silenced. But then something surprising happens. It's supposed to be the moment that Israel are coming back to God. It's like a revival moment. They're seeing this miraculous sign that everyone is encountering. But then something surprising happens. Elijah, this mighty man of faith, gets scared. He gets scared. Because hear this, if the enemy can't stop a work of God from happening, which he can't, because when God says something will happen, he has the power to do it. He will then change tactics and he'll then go and do different things. And for Elijah, that looks like intimidation. He can't do anything about what God's doing. So he looks to intimidate the man of God to keep him quiet. He tries to limit us. 
He tries to take you out of the race in any way he can. If God's going to do that, well, the enemy can't do anything about that. Uh, but he can do something about you. And maybe you'll believe the lies when he tells them to you. Maybe you'll run and be scared. You see, you need to hear this. I think sometimes when we get discouraged and when depression comes knocking, I'll share my own story in a little bit. Sometimes we can think, oh man, can't tell anyone about that. That's my weakness. Oh man, that's not good. Christians shouldn't get depressed. We should have joy all the time. Like this morning, these guys are leading us. That's not real life, is it? You need to hear it's not a sin to be discouraged and it's not a sin to be depressed. It's what you do where you turn when you're discouraged and depressed. It's not a sin to be in that place. Elijah's in that place, but where does he turn to? What sorts of things does he start listening to? That's when we get in trouble, right? Remember that Jezebel and Ahab have spent three and a half years previous to this hunting him down. They've been, they've been out to get him three and a half years. They couldn't find him. If the enemy, if Jezebel was going to kill him, she'd have done it by now. If she could, she would have. Don't be confused about that because for three and a half years, they were looking to get him, but they couldn't. And so they didn't. So now she intimidates him. If she could have actually seen through the threats of her words, she would have done. She wouldn't have waited about. She wouldn't have sent a servant to go and deliver it. She'd have gone herself and dealt with him, but she can't. And so she didn't, but she threatens him. Some of us, I think we know the love of God or we have known the love of God in our lives. We've maybe met with God. We've maybe met Jesus, encountered his love and blessing. And and it's like, wow. But now instead of running towards that blessing, we're running away from it for some reason. Just like Elijah. The same rain that he was praying for comes and he's no longer running towards that rain and blessing. He's running away from it. The very same rain and blessing. And as I got to this bit of my preparation, I just felt it was an important thing that someone needed to hear. And it's this, that the God of Elijah is interested in those who have given up and have sat underneath their own broom tree. He's interested in you. He's not done yet. He's interested. He's interested in the ones who are maybe burnt out. Maybe it's the serving thing. Maybe it's like, oh, I'm just burnt out. I don't know why I'm doing this. He's interested in you. God's interested in Moses who after 40 years had even lost the ability to speak properly, but God wasn't done with him yet. He was interested in him. God's interested in the prodigal who runs away and and kind of resents the father and hates him even. But God can do something with that. God's interested in the self-righteous Jonas who have that chip on their shoulder against God and they don't quite know why, but it's just, you know, they, they want out for him, but God can do something with that. God's interested in the lost sheep. He's interested in the swindling tax collector. He's interested in the adulteress. Why? Because he loves you like a father loves his children. This is the overwhelming message of the Bible. The lengths that God the Father will go to reach his children. His love for you is mightier than whatever it is that you're running from. Whatever it is. Because God loves you that much. So we see God pursues Elijah, even though Elijah's on the run, God pursues him underneath that broom tree. And this is where Elijah begins to encounter the kindness of God. This is when God comes to him and starts dealing with some of those things that were going on inside of him. 
because he's not done with Elijah yet. Verse 9 tells us, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is a really simple statement that the writer says, but there's so much in it. Because you've got to remember, Elijah's on the run away from the blessing and, and he's given up. He wants even like his own life to be taken. He's, he's genuinely, he's at the end of himself. Behold, the word of the Lord comes to him. God's not done. He might be done, but God's got more for him. There's purpose, there's life, there's love yet to encounter. Have you ever wanted to run away? Maybe even right now, you're just like, I'm running. I'm running in my, in my life. I'm running from that circumstance husband or wife and it's like oh man I, I no longer I know what to do I'm, I'm running the sickness I'm running maybe it's debt it's like oh it's overwhelming and I'm just running or addiction whatever it is maybe even you're running from God and you know I just don't want to hear from him I'm running from God God's not done with you yet you know a number of years ago our family went through a testing season and and I think hard times come when it's not just one one element of attack, but multiple, and how it gets on top of you. It's like one side, okay, we'd be able to deal with that maybe, but it's like all the elements, you know, we, we'd had a bereavement in the family, financial uh, uh, struggles, we had relational struggles, close family in crisis, we had family uh, friendships in crisis, uh, health challenges, and all of this caused, for the first time in my life, an overwhelming fear to just flood in. I'm not normally a fearful guy, but it had just, it had just come in. I was unable to make decisions, like everyday stuff. Pizza or Chinese? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't stop worrying about what this person might have said or the fact they didn't say something. It didn't matter. It was like this, this flood of fear came in. And just to give one example of how the fear gripped me, I became obsessed with locking doors. So I would lock up at night. And, and just to keep in mind, I come from a, a village um, where you don't, need, you don't lock your front door. You even leave your keys in the ignition. Like, it's like Guernsey. It's uh, <laughs> a friend from Guernsey here. Like, you just, uh, like, I never had a key growing up in my teens to get into house because either the front door or the back door was open. You know, I, I, like, that's what I was used to. So for me to be locking and double locking, and I would, I would go around the whole house, every window check. And at the end of it all, I'd lay down in bed. And I couldn't sleep because, ah, did I do that window? Or what if I didn't do it right? Did I double lock it? Did I lift the lever as well as lock it to, you know, really double lock? And like this fear just gripped me. And so I'd have to get up in the night. And no matter how much I tried to tell myself, I'd have to get up and check. And I'd go back and sometimes I'd do that a few times a night. The fear just, just washed in. I was held by it. I was running, just like Elijah. It was like it had washed over and I was, I was running. I was running in my mind. Do you ever run away from God, what God's asking you to do? If so, you need to hear this word. The word of the Lord comes to him. And even a second time, the word of the Lord comes to him. That is golden for me when I was in that place of fear. Ah, oh, it's just gold dust. He's not done. Okay, I can trust him. And God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Love that question. God knows. You know that, right? It's like Adam and Eve. Where are you? He knows where they are. Like, it's like a parent playing hide and seek with their kid when they're hiding in the corner like this. It's like, I know where you are, but why are you there? So he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And, it's, and, and Elijah, you know, goes through that spiel and, and then a great wind shatters the rocks and the earthquake moves the earth, remember that, and the fire comes outside, but we're told that God's not in those things. Oh, what's that about that? Instead, his presence comes in a quiet whisper. And I think we're meant to see the kindness of God in that. I think we're meant to see something of the kindness of God because the last thing a broken person needs when you're at the end of it and you just wish you'd take my life, Lord, the last thing that that person needs is a pep talk. You know, it's like a, come on, you know, you'll get through it, you'll be all right. That's the last thing you need or a loud rallying cry. Come on, we're back again. That's the last thing you need. Instead, what God does in his kindness is he draws close in a whisper. And you're meant to see that he has come in his presence just for Elijah. Just for him. And I was kind of wondering, what's the significance of God repeating the question? Did you notice as I was reading it, he says once, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah gives his answer. Then there's a show of power, like, wow, you know, he's not in that, he's not in that. He comes as a whisper. Why? Why did you repeat it? And I was looking for differences. They're exactly the same. So why? Why repeat it, God? I think it's in something that we can't see with our eyes, in the tone. It's in the volume. The first time the Lord interrupts Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? The second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? There's such a difference. One shows the very kindness of God. God knows why you're running. He knows why you're stuck. He knows the kind of thoughts that you just, ah, I don't know how to sort that. He knows, but he does say, what's going on? What's going on? And we just see the kindness. That whisper from God is more powerful than Jezebel's screams of fury and threat. Just that whisper. That whisper has the power to undo all of the the fear that's going on in, in Elijah's life. Just that whisper. God in this place is recommissioning Elijah. God in this place, in this whisper, in this place of intimacy, of the presence of God. You've got to be close to someone to hear a whisper, don't you? And you just get the picture, God's drawing close to Elijah. God's recommissioning Elijah. God speaks. First of all, he, he shows that he's pursued Elijah, even to the desert place when Elijah should be back where the rain's falling, back with the people of God. God then comes close, so close, you just need a whisper. Again, showing his kindness. And then lastly, and this is an interesting one, he deals with the lies that Elijah is believing. Because this is, this is the thing, when you get fearful, some of it is based on truth and some of it's just lies. But it all gets muddled in your head. Like, it, it just all, you know, some of the things we were going through were real. And some of them I'd made up in my head. And so God, just, just gently in a whisper, deals with with the lies, because Elijah needs to know God's not done with him yet. So Elijah's spiel, or his little speech when God asks, why are you here, goes like this. God, I've been very jealous for the Lord. True. So he starts with the truth. Then Elijah says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. Well, that's not true. Because the story tells us that Ahab and Jezebel and the false prophets did these things, not the people of Israel. And I think sometimes in our place of fear, we just paint everyone with the same picture. It's like big, broad brushstrokes. It's like, well, these people, they just, they just did this and they're horrible. 
So God has to deal with that one in a minute. And then it says, and I, even I only am left. Elijah, in his fear, feels like he's the only one. I'm the only one going through this, Lord. I'm the only one left in all of Israel. It's been faithful to you. And now I just want to go. God has to undo this too, because it's not true. God tells him later, no, I've kept 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal and have not given up on my name. But when we're in fear, when we're running away from God, these lies just, they take a life of their own. So we start saying things like, there's no one else that's going through what I've gone through. There's no one else that loves you, Lord. It's just me. Not true. But he finishes with the truth and they seek my life to take it away. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Jezebel does want to. I mean, she can't unless the Lord says so. She can't, but that is what they want to do. So often our situations in our lives, there are elements of truth and maybe we start even our prayers with truth. But then there is huge stuff in the middle, which we just, uh, uh, we're on a roll and we're fabricating. For me, some of the things I was saying at that time when I was running was some stuff like, God, you know I didn't get into this job of leading the church and a family to encounter all of this pain. That was true. I didn't. You know I wanted to serve you, God. You know I wanted to do the best I could. And it's, it's kind of going wrong. That was true. But I'd follow it with a lot of exaggeration and self-pity. Things like, why does everyone hate me? Why does everyone hate me? Everyone does. Why are all my friends in pain, Lord? Why are they all suffering and none of them are able to even support us and they're going through their own stuff? Why, why have you allowed my health to deteriorate and, and now I'm in this place and I can't even, you know? And I just add, why God? Why God? Signing off at the end, I'm really struggling, Lord. True. <laughs> but he needs to unpick these things and he does it in a low whisper. He'll do it even after in a response of communion because he loves you. So we're going to take communion in our last moments. We're going to remember the Lord and all that he's done. Because I said the key moment for me is when God comes and speaks to him. And you're like, ah, God has found him underneath that broom tree. Wow, this is the moment things are going to change. Remember, remember we have a God who doesn't just find us underneath the broom tree, but his name is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. The message of the Bible is that Jesus Christ loved you so much, he didn't just send his spirit uh, from a distance underneath the broom tree, but he came himself. He came. Jesus Christ was born as a baby to bridge the gap for you and for me. If you're a believer this morning, then you're welcome to take communion. What we're going to do is this. We've got two minutes. We're going to spread it a little bit. Just a couple minutes more. The first couple of minutes is just going to be in quiet before the Lord. And we're just going to ask, if you want to, it's an invitation. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And then I'll lead on from that place, okay? So first of all, just before we take communion, Lord, speak to me. Is there anything this morning that you want to say? Am I in that place? Is this life that I see Elijah doing, am I running? Lord, speak to me. Let's just have a few moments.
perhaps you've never even prayed to God and you're like, I don't know how to start. You can just ask, God, would you speak to me? The answers, your child's prayer, the answers your prayers if you've been a believer for 40, 50 years. Remember, he already knows. He already knows. for any that are seeing blessing right now Lord I pray they'd enjoy it give thanks to God Lord I pray for any that are seeing the valley season and and it's despair I pray Lord lift heads come Holy Spirit come and do what only you can do in the name of Jesus Amen Amen bless you guys we're um, there's a sort of a, a quiet if you don't want to rush away you don't have to it's a moment to go and grab kids if you've got kids and, and they'll come down and make a bit of noise but feel free to just turn to someone near you if you don't have to get your kids and just have a discussion what is it maybe there's something for some of you it's like we've been running for too long come on let's pray for each other let's seek God okay so no no rush but unless you've got kids and then you know, let's go and get those bless you thanks for being this morning 
Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some Joining the Church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life Uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.